0: Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Hey, today is February 26, 2023. We're almost done with the month of February. And the title of this morning's message is Lift Up Your Eyes. Everybody say lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. So since we've been speaking about the bow, we've all come to a better understanding of the tension needed to be taught by our Heavenly Father. We are learning to love the tension rather than loathe it. Moving forward and taking up the mantle or calling the Lord has laid at our feet. What we want to direct your attention to this morning is that the tension is not the target. The tension is not the target.
1: It is just an essential force needed to reach the target. Okay, so in case you hadn't been thinking about it like this, we want to let you know in advance, a bow is a rather ineffective tool all by itself. I mean, I mean, hopefully you guys don't know what this experience is, but you should know what it's like to get pistol whipped. Can you imagine what it is like to get bow whipped? Just bow whip an enemy right on their backside. But to accomplish the complete will of God, there's a required weapon of war for which the bow exists and that is the arrow. The arrow is the object to the antecedent, which is the bow. Okay, I'll just say this a different way to help everybody out. The arrow is the very reason why the bow is created in the first place. Amen. And then it's drawn back with tension. See, we're gonna lift up our eyes, say we're not gonna focus on the tension. We're gonna realize that arrows must have the propelling force generated by the bow to launch towards the target and pierce the center of aim.
0: Is that becoming clear now? Well, let us also remind you of who we are. We're a family of bowmen. Fathers and future fathers in this house that are gaining some skill, increasing some aptitude, knowing how to bend a bow of bronze, just as 2 Samuel 22 says. In fact, We're learning to possess the strength that is to be transferred to our sons. And like any expert bowman, his eyes are not focused on himself. How accurate could he be if his eyes were focused on him? None. Rather, his eyes are sharply focused on the arrow becoming aligned with the target. So in order for us to do this properly, we must get our eyes off of ourselves Get your eyes off yourself and lift your gaze to the Father so that we can be fathers to each and every spiritual son that is born in this house.
1: Now, there's no better place for us to start talking about being fathers than to look at the life of Abraham. So go with us to Genesis chapter 13, and we're going to pick it up in verse 14. Somebody say, lift up your eyes as you're turning. It says this in Genesis 13, 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also could be counted. The title of today's message is lift up your eyes. And it's inspired by our interactions with these verses right here. God directed Abram's line of sight to what he and his offspring would inherit. The land. Somebody say the land. The land. That would be the settlement of the nation of Israel. The place where God would choose for his name to dwell. The one place on earth that the sons of his faith will see the Messiah rule and reign in the age to come. God is declaring to Abraham the target that his entire life is aimed at. A countless... Limitless number of peoples from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue who will join him at the wedding supper of the Lamb because they became what he is. So
0: thinking of Abraham and what he is, he is synonymous with the thought of fatherhood. Am I right? Let's just start with his name. In fact, he had two names. His first name, Abram, means exalted father. And in Genesis 17, God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude of nations. So let's look at the day that he became a father. Everybody turn with me to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to pick up in verse 1. And we're in the ESV, Pastor Regina. (laughs) The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. was born to him. Man. Brother still got it. So let's focus on Isaac for a second. Isaac is the son upon all the hopes and dreams and fulfillment of promises we're resting upon. So let's imagine something. You ready to imagine something with me? Imagine this is you. You... (laughs) Mike, in the name of Jesus, it's going to happen. Imagine, imagine that you waited for decades for a promised child to be conceived and born into this world. It comes from your body. You are eagerly awaiting the moment that you hold this little bundle of joy in your arms, and then you are flooded with the feeling that now you are a father. This is what it must have been like for Abraham. Now, just for those of you who are good Bible students, oh, what about Ishmael? I mean, Ishmael was already born to Abraham by this time, but Ishmael was not the promised son that God had originally stated. He was not the one who would inherit the land. In fact, in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to take his son, his only son, Isaac, up to Mount Moriah. So scripturally speaking, we're looking at this, and we can say, now, now Abraham has a son that was a fulfillment of offspring from he and Sarah. Now, God's promise is fulfilled, and he can rightfully be a father. After all, that time awaiting, even the intermission of a presumptuous misstep with Sarah's maidservant. And now, Isaac is born to his household, This is the day that Abraham became my father. Is that right? No, it's not right. Do you want
1: to know what's right?
0: Take it, Pass
2: away.
1: How about we go to Genesis 14? Oh, oh, yeah. Genesis 14, 14. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house 318 of them and went in pursuit as far as Dan All right y'all ready Abram was not waiting for a son from his own body or for a son from his own body to come of age to then start being a father
0: Say that again pastor
1: Yeah Abram was not waiting for a son to come from his own body or for a son from his own body to come of age before he started being a father. He was a father long before Isaac. He was a father long before Ishmael. He was actively raising up warrior sons because he was a father the very second that God said he was in Genesis 12. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Abram was a father... The second that God declared that he was before his own natural children arrived on the scene. Since Abraham is the father of your faith and my faith, then there is no room for you to wait to have your own children before you become a father. There is no room to wait to have your sons grow up into adulthood or a fighting age before you start being a father. You're going to have to wait 18 years before you start becoming a father? Absolutely not. Abraham became a father because he lifted up his eyes. He saw the target that God was aimed at and began to father sons not from his own body. Even before he had sons from his own body. With this in mind. Somebody say, with this in mind. We want to share with you something God has been speaking to us over the course of nearly an entire year.
0: So, April 3rd. 2022, almost a year ago, we received a prophetic message for our local body through the prophetic writings of Zechariah. Zechariah was a contemporary of Zerubbabel and Haggai, and you can see this in Ezra 5.1 and chapter 6, verse 14. Not only was Zechariah's prophetic writings informative to us, the formation of his ministry team is foundational to the way we do ministry. We want to share with you some of the prophetic insights that Adonai prophesied to our body in advance. And that we have just now come to the place we are standing in the midst of the fulfillment of these prophecies. So turn with us to Zechariah chapter 3
1: and say, lift your eyes up. Come on, aren't you excited to think about this? God has been speaking to us about something for almost a year now, and we're now standing in it. Come on now. Let's take a look at Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 8. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Now, we prophesied to this body that the netzer would spring up causing life to occur in families, to occur in lives, to occur in callings, and in corporate visions. This was last April, and it just so happens that God is revisiting this now because we're standing in it. Oh yeah, what did we talk on on Tuesday night in Foundations? And Acts 2 was about the Netzer principle. God is saying, I've been speaking to you about this. I want you to see that I'm causing you to stand in its fulfillment now. We told you that what seemed like death and inability was just bringing you closer to his Netzer resurrection. Church, we are standing in the fulfillment of that prophecy now. You know what that means? That means, according to Zechariah 3, 8, that we are men who are symbolic of the bows and arrows that are to come.
0: Look, this prophetic encouragement was an expansion of vision that we currently have and giving us clear insight in how this affects our sons. So turn back a couple of chapters to Zechariah chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 16. Say, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. The point of this verse was that in years past, we had a vision about a holy city and bringing the gospel to the nations, but The Lord was calling us to expand that vision by eliminating all limits in our own lives. The limits that are affecting our own sons. So so get this. That was 11 months ago. And right now, we are truly standing in the midst of the fulfillment of this prophecy. We're seeing it come alive and bear fruit in our midst. We are in the days that the measuring line for our arrows must be stretched out by eliminating all limitations.
1: We took up a charge from Zechariah 2 that was to be fulfilled in our words and our actions towards those coming after us. Turn with us to Zechariah 2, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, Run! Tell that young man! Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. The declaration we took up was that we would no longer run and tell a young man what he could not do. You guys remember this? We wouldn't run up to someone and and warn them and try to make them nice and safe and small. We would not continue to highlight the deficit between our sons and us, but instead, we would run and tell the young men that the city of God was to be without limits of any kind. We were saying there is more ahead, not less. God's word of prophecy to us this morning was confirming this yet again in our midst. Our endeavor was to raise the expectation of our sons by personally living higher and proclaiming to them what God would do through them beyond the natural. We had to quit living with walls so that they would be in this city without walls. This prophetic message came on the heels of weeks of repentance in word and in deed regarding the way that we had, as a church had run our households and pastored our families. We repented of setting direction for sons in this church that were secular and seditious to the kingdom of God and nature. We repented of doing what was easiest or had the least resistance in the direction for our wives. We recognized that the glory of God was not resting on us, but was resting on the generations to come and made up our minds to lay down our cloaks Lay down our earthly possessions, our aspirations, the control of our own time. The culminating revelation was that this set us on the path for Zechariah 1, verses 4 through 6. Let's look at Zechariah 1, 4 through 6.
0: Do not be like your ancestors or your forefathers, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, This is what the Lord Almighty says turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. So we began to recognize the words of Zechariah to Israel and the way that they had a prophetic application to us. So look, for the majority of us in the room, our forefathers had been stiff-necked. Our forefathers had ignored the leading of the Spirit in their entire lives, and moreover, our own lives were fading away day by day. And just like the prophets and servants before us, life was becoming less. The word of the Lord, however, was not fading. The word of the Lord was not becoming less of life. And in the sovereignty of God, it would certainly come to pass, and it was required of us that we would raise generations of men who would be there to carry the will of the Lord out until the completion of it. Look, this would be a long time after we had gone. Let's connect something here. He told us this almost a year ago in the sermon titled, A Couple of Ordinary Asses. So church, today, we are telling you to lift up your eyes to the Father who told us this in advance and has been with us to bring it further. Then, look to the target He is aiming us at, the aim of His will the certainty of his work, you are fading away. And the glory of God rests on this coming generation after us. So what must we do? We must ready the arrows. We must ready the very ones that are a sign of what is yet to come. Why? Because we are not the target ourselves
1: somebody say, I am, not the target. I am not the target. What an incredible thing for us to know and understand here in this house today. As we were going through just some of the points that God brought out for us a year ago. Now some of you, you may be like me and you need help remembering things. Put yourself back in that place of almost a year ago where God was looking at us and speaking to us. It was a time of repentance. It was a time that he was removing filthy ways of thought and poor behavior from our lives because he had this day in mind as he was speaking to us. Now here we are standing here in this, and we don't want you to miss it. We want you to get your eyes up to lift up your eyes today. We've been talking about tension, but doesn't that just really focus on you? You are not the target. The tension is necessary, but that's not the point. The point is that you lift up your eyes and see the target that's before you. To see that you are standing in it now and what God has for you in the days to come. See, this church does a fine job of recognizing your responsibility to the children born to your household. And we're all still growing and realizing our practice of that revelation. Can somebody say amen? amen? I know it's about the kids. I know it's about the next generation. I'm still working on getting that the way that it needs to be. We are telling you today that the bow is at hand and arrows must be ready. You can't wait for your six-year-old to turn 18 before you become a father who knows how to train men. You can't wait for your eight-year-old to get 18 until you're ready to send somebody out into combat. What does that do for us? That puts us doing God's will sometime, always in the future. The time is now, church. There are sons that are yet to realize their sonship on the streets everywhere in our city. They're waiting for a man like you to walk up, look them in the eye, and challenge them just like a father would.
0: Haven't you encountered people in our general public? When you look in their eyes, they are craving, craving fatherhood. They are void of real sonship. Let's look a little bit closer. I'm going to tell you the truth. There are sons in this room that have yet to realize their sonship and are waiting for leading men in this room to stand up, look them in the eye, and declare what they can become despite their own disbelief. We will raise a host of natural-born children upon whom the glory rests in supernatural ways. But, saints, we cannot wait to raise supernatural arrows from the men in our midst upon whom God's glory rests for the work that is in our near future. The time is now. Our efforts must be applied now in reading these arrows. In addition to that, we know that you guys are a financially sacrificial church. You allow the word to cut you to the bone, and it has advanced the kingdom in that manner. We also know that you are sacrificial in the way that you serve. It's time that we begin to pay a sacrifice in our sons. But we must raise them up. We must stir them up. We must ready the arrows first, and you cannot wait until the children born to you are of fighting age, Because we are at war now. The bow is at hand now. The tension has been added in order that they may hit the target. And we start that process today.
1: Somebody say the day is now. The The time is now. now. You can't wait. You can't wait to be the kind of a father who rouses and stirs up your sons. Look at Zechariah 9 with us. And catch what God has been saying to us for almost a year now. Zechariah 9 and verse 13. Somebody say, Lift up your eyes. Look, Mike's excited. Is anybody else excited? Look what it says in verse 13. For I have bent Judah as my bow, I have made Ephraim its arrows. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. From Zechariah 9, the Lord has been clearly speaking to us for almost a year now about this archer process. From this passage, we learn that like Messiah, the son of David, the one descended from Judah, we must be a bow that fires arrows into the biblical world. That God was stirring us to stir up our sons against the physical and spiritual forces that oppose the will of God and the advancement of the kingdom. We decided that we would draw the warrior sword that is the word of God. In the original context of this passage, Judah is the leading tribe as the leading tribe is symbolizing and is symbolized by the bow. Like a father who is in connection with the head, his eyes are lifted up and he would look to the target of firing the Ephraimites into the heart of the enemy. All of the other 11 tribes were supposed to look to Judah, the precursor, the forerunner to Messiah Jesus, and be directed as they were fired into the target. Judah and Ephraim are also brothers of equal standing, and yet form a two-piece war instrument. This is because of the process that takes place when a father has his eyes on the father. He looks to the target and consequently no longer cares about himself. He just cares about rousing his sons. Let me just speak to you for a minute. Let, Let me just talk to you about what the Lord is doing in this house. It's important that you teach your sons for sure. This is not saying that he would come and teach your sons, this is God saying, You must rouse your sons. You must move them beyond where they are, and you've got to inspire somebody because of what God has done in your life. This is not exclusively the task of your pastors and your elders. This is a call to every man in this house to say now is the time. Now is the time to rouse the sons and the daughters in this house and move forward because now is that time. Church, you've got to rouse sons. That's what the Lord has been speaking to us for almost a year now. The son then becomes a brother. The son becomes an equal. Then the son becomes a bow in and of himself as he fires more arrows throughout through the fatherhood that he now possesses. Church, this is an important an important shift. A turning point in our church. It's today. I can feel it. I can feel that God is intending more than just trying to teach you today. We're trying to rouse you in your soul that you might rouse your sons in exactly the way that Zechariah 9 proclaims it.
0: Saints, don't miss what Pastor Wade shared. In order to have the capability of rousing your sons and readying them as arrows, the very first step is that you lift up your eyes to the Father. But hear what he said that, that clarifies that. It's lifting up your eyes to the Father to the point you no longer care about your own welfare. I think we can all acknowledge that we do lift up our eyes to the Father, but is it to the extent that we are sacrificing every ambition and goal of ourselves for the sake of them? In that way, the Father will impart into you what is required to fan into flame and ready them. So we're going to look at how this passage continues in Zechariah. And in the prophetic message about a year ago, we noticed for the first time the emphasis of the pronouns in this passage. Those that are in reference are not the current generation. They are always sons upon whom the glory of God rests. So let's pick up in verse 14. Then the Lord will appear over them, meaning the sons, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, the arrows, and they, meaning the sons, get this, man, this is powerful, shall... Devour. So who shall devour? And tread down the sling stones, and they, the arrows, shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine. Sons in this house, let me hear you roar. Yeah. Ah, that's so refreshing. And the passage continues. That these arrows, these sons, will be like, uh, be, will be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. What would you do at the altar? Sacrifice. And sacrifice, particularly, living things. And those living things have blood in it. So, therefore, what is the bowl full of? What are they drenched in? Which means if there's blood on their garments and they're still alive, who won the battle? They did. This is the product of us lifting our eyes to our Father. We become fathers to sons that are currently in our midst, particularly of those that are not born to us. This, spa- this passage directly speaks to our Father's heart it enables us to drive out all faithlessness. It is the Lord who will appear over them, the sons. It is Yahweh Sabaoth who will protect them, the arrows. It is our Heavenly Father who will empower them to accomplish more than we have, and they become our glory. We'd like to take a minute to point out how awe-inspiring and powerful The display is through the sons who have been fathered correctly. Not only are they pictured in the second coming of Christ, but they are depicted in a joyful, wine-infused roar while in battle. This is the result of bowmen who know how to keep their eyes on the father and on the target. Their own location becomes irrelevant. They rouse the sons from the childhood to maturity, whether they were born to them or not. And the sons end up magnifying the work of the bow. The kind of sons that we're raising in this house, are they to be little chocolate confectionaries? Fiery arrows. That's right. Fiery arrows. They are to be sons who know who they are because they have had a close relationship with fatherhood, not just their father, fatherhood. See, being able to rightly relate to authority trains you to know how to use authority. What we're seeing in the sons of this passage is that there is no back up, let up, or shut up. These are men who are confident in who they are. And it's because of their fierce tenacity to advance God's kingdom that then the father can stand back and see the work of his hands in sons not born to his household.
1: Church, we are not raising the safest, most polite young men that we can raise. We're raising warriors in this house. Did you hear that God sends his arrows out like lightning? Yeah. Can you imagine what kind of bow that, that is that he has? He's sending out and shooting lightning like arrows. The Lord protects them. They devour. They tread. They shall drink and roar. They're in the midst of a battle. Firing arrows themselves, not at all worried about the tension of the bow. They're firing arrows and they're laughing while they do it. They are drinking their fill of what this is and be like, yeah, man, I was made for this. How were they made for this? Their fathers made them for this and poured into them. Look how it continues in verse 16. On that day, the Lord, their God, will save them. Oh, come on now, parents your overwhelming fears about your little ones are really an act of faithlessness that God won't be the same God to them that he was to you. How many of you were not saved until you reached adulthood? How many of this group that just raised your hand also have children right now? So your children are much better off than you were. They're a thousand times better, and they're a thousand times more ahead of where you are, and you're still worried about them. Stop it. On that day, the Lord, their their God, not even the Lord, your God, the Lord, their God, will save them. you got to actually have some faith that what he did in you, he hasn't become inept to be able to do it for them. See, when you're afraid of what's going to happen to them, you pull them back from the very things that God is trying to instill a warrior-like attitude into. He will save them as the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. Somebody say, I am not the target. I am not the target. The culmination of lifting up our eyes to the Father is that he becomes their God who will save them. He will save the sons that have been fathered by us. I'm going to say that again because you need to hear it. He, Adonai, our God, will save the sons that have been fathered by us in the process. They are like jewels of a crown. And they'll shine forth the glory of God in such a luminous way that his glory will fill all of creation. I'm just going to say it plainly. It's time for the fathers of this house to get their eyes off their own jewels. And set their eyes on the father and make their own sons into jewels. It's not possible to intently lift his eyes without gaining a greater revelation of fatherhood from the Father. The reason that every bit of this begins in Genesis 13 is because Abraham learned to look, to lift up his eyes, to place his eyes on the Father, and then look at the land. The result of this process caused him to not wait, but to instead immediately begin to ready arrows. Arrow after arrow after arrow. If you're uncertain as how to begin at being a father to sons, to whom we're not born to you, then we suggest you spend time and spend more time looking intently into the eyes of the Father. Come on. Oh, I don't know, but I had a. Your ancestors are past, man. Yeah. That has faded away. We read a passage out of Zechariah that said exactly that. They were overtaken already. How long are we gonna? you going to be my age and still worried about how your daddy treated you? What does that have to do with anything now? I am a man of God. I am a father. I am making other fathers who are making more fathers. None of that matters. It just matters that we stand up now, we lift up our eyes, and we look intently into the Father. Because he adopted us despite the fact that we weren't born to him anyway. Moreover, Somebody say, moreover. Man, we were hostile in rebellion, but he confronted us. He spoke to us. He raised us up. He pulled us out anyway. He didn't need anything from us because he is the father, and he raised us up to be fathers.
0: When we're thinking about fathers in the faith, there's one that we want to highlight to you in the newer Testament. His name is Paul. He had some words of wisdom and insight commentary on this subject. Now, according to just scriptural record, we know that Paul had no natural-born sons of his own, right? It's okay. You can answer. I'm not going to turn it on you. And although he didn't have any natural-born sons to him, did he produce sons? Did he produce sons that were arrows that were readied? Men that knew how to go to war? That's because Paul looked into the eyes of the Father and set his eyes on the target. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll pick up in verse 14. Say, lift up your eyes. This will be in the ESV sound booth. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, or as Carlos would say it, the Father of glory, amen, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, there's a specific reason why we're we're reading this in the ESV, because at this point, you should all be familiar with the alternate and superior translation in the ESV of this passage. If you have an ESV Bible, there should be a footnote next to the phrase, every family. And the alternate translation is, from whom all fatherhood. From whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. You see how much more clear that is? It's not just a family. It is centered on fatherhood. The reasons for this are endless. We are one family, not many families. We are participants in one priesthood, not many priesthoods. We are one living temple, not many temples. So in the eyes of the great Apostle Paul, this all begins with the interaction with the Father. Say the Father. The Father. So put simply, all fatherhood starts with you lifting up your eyes and getting the perspective and direction of the Father. Then you look at the land that God has called to be conquered, the target, but never to your own circumstances. This enables you to rouse the sons and ready the arrows for a magnified work. One that is far beyond what you were ever capable of. And that should be our joy. That should be the aim of all of our
1: efforts. So let's take a look at what Paul writes about the sons who were not born to him, but were nonetheless his through the gospel as he contemplates the father that he kneels before. Look at verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. How many times have we read this and thought that literally it was speaking to us exclusively? This is a plural version of you. Paul is speaking to his sons, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, my sons, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your, the sons' inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, my sons, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you, my sons, may be filled with all the fullness of God. In case you hadn't figured it out yet, Paul is speaking to his sons, the sons that have been created from the process of lifting up his eyes to the Father. In our estimation, Paul has to be meditating on a prophetic message of Zechariah as well. His prayer is that you, speaking to his sons, may be filled with all the fullness of God, just as Judah's bow was filled with the arrows of the sons of Ephraim, expressing a desire for his sons to be fathers to their sons, accomplishing the actual aim and target of the Father. When we lift up our eyes to the Father, from whom all fatherhood is derived, we raise sons into fathers who do more than we ever dreamed possible.
0: Do you guys have grand dreams? Expectations that go beyond what you could ever imagine? God has even more. And it's accomplished through this process. Let's look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout how many generations? All. All generations, forever and ever. So look, by this point in the sermon, that coffee is still kicking in. We're alive. We have breath in our lungs. We only have one brother standing up in the back trying to stay awake. That's better than Ten. These verses should be the most inspirational truth that we can imagine. The father is able to do abundantly more than we could hope to accomplish in our own lifetime. This is precisely because he intends to amplify his power that is at work within us to our sons. And what is more is that our sons don't stay sons alone. They become fathers. And so the abundance continues. You know, this is why we, we shared Zechariah in the, the earlier part of this message. Because it is magnifying that the glory of Zechariah's uh, words is equal to the glory that is to be displayed in the church. So what Paul is saying is glory in the church, glory in Jesus A hallelujah is supposed to come forth because the end goal is that the glory doesn't just rest on him alone, but it'll rest on all the generations that will come after him. There's supposed to be glory in all generations of our sons who have been roused by their fathers, who have lifted up their eyes to the Father who is over all and in all and at work
1: in all. Beth, could you put back verse 20 back up on the screen for just a second? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Do you understand what we're saying to you? The way that he can abundantly do more than you can ask or think is that he continues this in the generations that you see what he's working, that you are not the target, but the generations are. The abundance comes in the sons that you raise up to be fathers in and of themselves. That is an abundance that you can't even imagine. You can't wrap your mind around something that's like that, and yet God is speaking that to this house, and he's using his word to do so. So, how, so the, that begs the question, how do you be a father that rouses sons in the faith? How are we going to do that? You demonstrate the same actions that our father did for Abraham. The Lord spoke to Abram to leave the confines of his natural-born limitations and journey beyond the barriers of comfort and familiarity. He declared to Abram the substance of what he was called to become and then challenged his son to lift up his eyes to look in all directions of what he would possess. He then directed Abram to look upon the vast expanse of his effects as a father comparing his offspring to the stars set in the heavens and the sand beneath his feet, changing his name from an exalted father to Abraham, the father of nations, of multiple, of all the nations, a father to those not born in his house or derived from his own natural DNA. How is that even possible? To be a father of someone that is not your own DNA. This is the exact process that we're calling you today. We see it demonstrated in the life of Abraham. Fathers look to their sons and they look at them right in the eye and they say, son, you are much more than this. You're much more than this. Stand up. Lift up your eyes. You need to be exactly what I am. This will show the glory of God resting upon us. The words of a father spoken to her son, spoken to a son are the words of life that produce sons who then know how to give life to others. This is what God is rousing us to do today.
0: I hope you're getting the answer to the question that that Pastor Wade started with. How do you rouse sons in the faith? It comes from what you have done and what you teach. That Acts 1-1, what you do and what you teach And that gives life to your words that are able to speak to sons in the faith and cause them to stand up and come alive. This is how the Father has done it from the beginning with his son, Adam. You guys know who Adam is, right? The Genesis Adam? After forming him from the dust of the earth, the breath of God filled Adam. And the word says that he became a living being. It is by your spirit-breathed words of life that you bring your sons to life. That's how our father did it from the very beginning. And that's how we do it now. In doing this, you are inspiring them with the breath of God that fills your being. And in turn, they become inspirational fathers as well. You know that the literal Hebrew meaning of the phrase living being is chayah nefesh, a living soul, or better yet, defined in the lexicons, a living breath. What God's spirit, his ruach, that entered into Adam. It caused his son to stand up and become a living breath just as he was. This is how you ready the arrows. This is how you ready your sons. It is clear that Adam was the father of the living because he took the same living breath that was breathed into him and breathed it into his generations. So we want to say... That the sole purpose of breathing spirit-filled words from your father to your sons is that they stand to their their feet with the purpose to do what you do. Sons who become co-laborers. Sons who become brothers. An equal partner in the goal of God restoring the earth.
1: Let us help you to understand this process by seeing how the Apostle Paul called sons to his side and inspired brothers. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 16. Somebody say, Lift up your eyes as you're turning. First Corinthians 4 and verse 16. It says this, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm I'm sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. As you would expect. Paul begins by challenging the men of Corinth as a father. He's immediately stepping in and saying, I am urging you, I am calling you to my side, and I'm calling you to directly imitate me. In order for them to imitate the exact fatherhood that Paul has demonstrated, to help them to know the immediate product of fatherhood, Paul sends his son in the faith, Timothy, to faithfully put into full view All of Paul's way of life. So let's just ask the obvious questions to make sure we're all on the same page. Was Timothy related to Paul? No. As a matter of fact, Timothy is introduced into Paul's life in Acts 16. And it's from this passage that we know of Timothy's parentage. His mother was a Jewish believer in Messiah, and his father was a Greek, which Luke says was a fact that everybody knew about the man. If you knew the man, you understood his parentage. Ah, I got it. I got it. So that's why Timothy was Paul's son. I'm a Jew. You're a Jew. Wouldn't you all like to be a Jew? We got this connection, so therefore I'm your father, right? Not only is fatherhood not based on bloodline, it's certainly not based on ethnicity. Paul drew Timothy close even though he was not a natural-born son. Even though he was not a natural-born son. So that begs the question of us today, directly to you here in this house, are you urging your sons in the faith to imitate your way of life? Can you send sons that you're raising up to be a true representation of who you are? See, as your fathers in this house, we know that you are in fact able to do this. We're simply saying to lift up your eyes so you can see that you must and begin to focus in on the target that he has for you. See, we're not going to look at those and look at those with the same skin color and presume that that's, that that's the, the best connection. We're not going to look at those who seem the most like us. I want to tell you guys, I have a black son. Hey, Timo, stand up. Hey. Yeah. Okay. So Timo married my daughter, so I have a black son. Thank you, Timo. Hey, I got to tell y'all, I got another black son. Look at Justin Linton over here. Come on, man. If you're only looking to raise sons that look like you, you're going to miss out on a lot of fathering that God has for you. I love having black sons, by the way. I love it, whether they're of... Tanzanian origin, or the third world country of Port Arthur, Texas. <laughs> Good Lord. See, Paul is showing us, and he's doing it with Timothy, and we see the example that's here. So, all, Timothy was definitely a spiritual son of Paul, but that's not all he was. Turn with us to 1 Thessalonians 3.
0: We're going to pick up in verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So Paul's fatherhood, derived from lifting up his eyes to the Father is the very thing that drew Timothy into sonship. And Paul's affection for Timothy was not because Timothy shared Jewish descent, although that is true. Instead, Paul saw him as an arrow. Paul saw him as a symbol and a sign of what was yet to come. And it was Paul's vision as a father that inspired Timothy into brotherhood. Paul did something. He grabbed hold of the heavenly vision. He received the breath of life from the Spirit of God that filled his words spoken into Timothy. And it helped stretch out the measuring line by eliminating all limitations and creating a brother and co-worker in the gospel of Christ. This wasn't the only son that Paul roused or arrow that he readied. There are many more in his epistles that he did this for. But before we share some of that, the question that we have for you is, are your eyes lifted up to the Father and able to see his aim at raising these sons up to be your co-laborers and brothers? As your fathers, we know that you can see his aim for the sons in this house. So, we want to move on and highlight one additional young man that Paul interacted with. His name is Titus. So, turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1,
1: verse 4. Come on, say, lift up your eyes. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So let's ask the obvious question. Was Titus related to Paul? No. Was he of the same ethnicity or nationality? No. (laughs) No, he was not. Galatians 2, 3 describes Titus as being a Greek. And yet Paul was able to become a father to Titus just as he had been to Timothy. Because Paul had lifted up his eyes to the Father, he was able to see a true son in the faith, the target of his own fatherhood. So Paul was able to look beyond nationality, to look beyond culture, to look beyond language, to look beyond ethnicity, or even their upbringing. See, Paul knew that he had what his true son in the faith needed. None of the rest of that mattered. One of the things that God is working into this house is we're not looking to try to get to people only of our same ethnic background, our national background. We don't play favorites to that. We're actually seeing those who can become sons and be raised up into the same type of fathers that we are. So the question is, are you looking beyond natural descent, beyond cultural differences to find the true sons that need a father? See, as your father's, We know that you're looking. We know that your eyes are being opened, that you're lifting up eyes. See, but Titus, like Timothy, was more than just a true son in the faith. Turn with us to 2 Corinthians 2. Say, lift up your eyes.
0: Verse 12. Very good, my man. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Begin to put yourself in this position. And let's start with this. A man whose eyes are lifted up to the Father whose focus is aimed at the target for his sons who are arrows, is a father who sees what God wants to accomplish through them, just as it's stated in Zechariah 9, 14 through 15, when it says the Lord will appear over them, protect them. They shall devour and tread. What is Paul feeling here? Why is his spirit not at rest? Because he is feeling the need of inspirational partnership that Titus brings to him as a brother. Paul is a father who has run from selfish ambition and run towards the young men in order to declare to them what God wants to accomplish through them. He does not view an open door a ministry for him to go through and accomplish, but is willing to put it on hold and forsake it for the purpose of raising sons into co-laborers. How many of us would see that open door as the sign from heaven that this is God's will and want to race to it all by ourselves just because we are insecure in who we are? Yeah. But he was secure and confident as a father in the faith that he threw that all aside Because his spirit was not at rest unless Titus was by his side. It was more about the sons. Is your spirit at a place of unrest because your son, who has now become your brother, is not at your side to do the work God has destined for you and them to do?
1: Church, as familiar as we are with Paul's fatherhood of Timothy and Titus, everybody's familiar with that, right? It cannot be stated enough how they didn't stay sons only, but reached the lofty goal of becoming brothers and co laborers. Man, that's an encouragement to realize they didn't just stay perpetually as sons or only as sons. They were raised up, and Paul himself is saying about the brotherhood that they achieved. I mean, that's commendable. Yeah, it is. That's already like in the top 1% of what goes on anywhere that you see around you. It's admirable, it's a goal to be accomplished. But this is LCM. We have yet another step to go in this progression. Because becoming brothers was not the target. Wouldn't you like to know what the target is? We have a slide for you. Becoming fathers is the target. Take a look there at 2 Timothy 3. We have a passage for you. Paul is speaking to his son. And in this letter to Timothy, it's a full count, accounting of the record of Paul's fatherhood to Timothy. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my way of life rather, my patience, my love. My, you've, you've been around me. Let me explain to you and recap to you all the ways that I've already fathered you. But that's not the target of Paul only fathering Timothy. In verse 14 he says, As for you, continue in what you've learned. What did Timothy learn? He learned how to be a father who makes sons who become fathers. This is what Timothy was able to do because of the exact pattern of fatherhood that Paul demonstrated Timothy is able to hit the target of being a father to his sons in the faith and making them into fathers, which was Paul's aim the whole time. So think about it. Every revelation, every time there was a difficulty, every single trial that was there was serving to establish Timothy as a city without walls, as a man without limitations, and one on whom the glory of God rests. Timothy hits the target of being a father. How many times have we gone through and heard the story of Timothy, and if we say, Paul, you know that he's a son. A much smaller percentage of you would realize that he became a brother. But how many of you understood the fatherhood that Timothy then displayed for generations of believers? That's the target, my friends. Consider Titus as well.
0: We're looking at Titus chapter 2, verse 1. It starts off with, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And he's going through an interaction with a variety of age and maturity in the church body. And he's instructing his co laborer, who has now become a father, to act like a father to give him sound wisdom and advice to implement using weighty words that come with the authority God has given him to be a father to the members in Titus' church. As he progresses through it, you know how he starts, see how he starts with older men? He works his all the way down to younger men. Titus is able to do this. Because Paul did his job as a father. There's no insecurity inside of Titus. He's given him instruction for church government and to stand in a place of authority to raise up more fathers in Titus' midst. Yes, when we we look at this map and we see the region that's painted in yellow, We do know that we have a clear vision to send 100 families there. And we're going to do it as churches. Do you know what our responsibility is? Is to see what the real target is. Yes, we are sending sons there. Yes, we are sending co-laborers there. But you know what ultimately we are sending there? We're sending fathers there. Fathers who will go and make more fathers.
1: Consider these letters. We're talking about Timothy and Titus. Where do you go in the Newer Testament to find out how to establish people into church government? You go to Timothy, and you go to Titus. See, Paul's fatherhood is hitting the target, and these men are receiving the breath of life from their father Paul. They have become confident fathers. Paul is telling Titus, you go teach. You go train. You go urge. You be the father to these people. This is what Paul has instructed. They have become confident fathers who are intent on hitting the target themselves, which is to raise up other confident fathers. Man, the thought of us just not keeping this entire gospel about ourselves and moving to our generations is a life-changing revelation. And now to realize it's not just on them as small children, but you are raising fathers who raise other fathers. This is the kingdom of God. This is what he has been speaking to this group of people into the one association of churches. That we are going to do this together because we don't just send our children. We're sending fathers who produce other fathers.
0: So right now, just kind of move your arms a little bit. Rouse yourself. We're getting to some very important points. Look, what we are preaching on today, obviously, is not just for today. This is giving us trajectory of the rest of our lives and what we're aimed at. So Paul, as we stated, is making his sons into fathers who then make more fathers. But how did Paul get his confidence as a father, turn with us to 1 Corinthians 15. Say, lift up your eyes as you turn. Your 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The context of what Paul is preaching about is in reference to the 12, the 12 apostles in Jerusalem. And when looking at them, he could have easily diminished the value of his own purpose and call when comparing himself to them. I mean, these 12, these men who received the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Shavuot in Acts 2. And they were now functioning as the new leadership of Israel. But he didn't diminish himself. He states that by the grace of God, I am what I am. All of us use text messaging, right? Right? Text messaging is very helpful, it's expedient, and it is dangerous as hell. Why? Because emphasis of wording determines everything. Auto, yeah. Auto-correct. That's a pitfall with an iPhone. The emphasis of wording, it determines the context of the message that's being sent. What Paul is not saying here is that he is just a lame, poor victim of his own circumstance. Woe is me that I wasn't included in the original 12. I just am what I am. (sighs) Would you ever imagine that that would be the way that Paul would say this? By no means, exactly. Exactly. No, he's stating it from a place of being a confident, secure father. Why? Because he is filled with the breath of his father, the great I am. By the grace of God, by the breath of God that exists in me, I am what I am. But I want to compare this to something else much, much earlier in history. I want to draw your attention to the wording that Paul chooses when he says, I am what I am. And compare it with what is stated by God to Moses in Exodus 3. Stay in 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to just look up here. When Moses is standing at the burning bush, being spoken to by God, and he's wrestling with his own lack of confidence and self-proclaimed inadequacy to be a father to the nation of Israel, The Lord declares his own name to Moses by saying, I am who I am. Paul states, I am what I am. God states, I am who I am. So simply put, saints, we never gain confidence as a father, as a brother, even as a son, by asking the question, who am I? Who am I to do this great work? Who am I to be part of this church? Who am I to be part of the vision for this one region? That never brings confidence to be a father. He, meaning Yahweh, is the who. Meaning the source of our identity. The source of our substance. And by his substance being inside of us, we then can stand with confidence and say we are the what. Lord God, you are the who, and I am the what. I am the substance of who you are. My feet stand here on earth as your son, and I'm becoming the father just like you are. We are the what of who he is. That is solely derived from his fatherhood, breathing to us just as it was for. Abraham, just as it was for Adam, Zechariah, Paul, and every other man and woman of God who has ever existed. What we're saying this morning is that it's time to lift up your eyes. You are no longer staring at you and your own estimation of your substance, but you are looking to the Father who is your identity. Why? So that you can aim at the target of being a father that raises up other confident fathers.
1: Come on, can you feel the approval of God on what Pastor just said? Look, for our last passage of today, we want to go with you to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 and verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, behold, in other words, lift up your eyes and see, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they, the nations, shall bring your sons, Israel, in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders, doesn't that sound like some fathers and mothers who are in the house who understand what this is like? And they are carrying the very descendants of Israel back to where they are. Look at verse 23. Kings shall be your foster fathers. Maybe it's being the foster fathers that makes them into kings. Kings. And their queens, your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. We're saying to you today, lift up your eyes, church. Lift up your eyes and see what the Father is doing in this house and in your life. He's doing it right here in this family. And he's going to do it in the nations through you. The future of the sons of this house is that their feet will stand on the soil of other nations. They're going to take the sons of those nations in their arms and make them fathers. Just like Abraham. The future of our daughters is that they will stand with their husbands on that foreign soil and carry on their shoulders the daughters of foreign households and make them into mothers in the faith just like Sarah. It's time for for us to lift up our eyes and see sons and daughters of this house who are not of your line. As a sign, a portent, a symbol of the things that are to come. And do you see this in this verse? Does this sound like it's a chore? Does it sound like it's a negative thing? They are bowing down and saying, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to father someone who is not mine and watch them become fathers as well. Then you will know that this is a work of the Lord. This is not a burden. This is our target. We're lifting up our eyes and we're seeing the target that God has for us in this house and in this day.
0: We're bringing this to an end. It starts with a question What are you? Are you a son? that is following the way of life of your fathers in the faith, becoming a father is your target. That's what you are. Are you a brother, a co-laborer with your fathers that brings them inspirational partnership? What you are is aiming rightly at becoming a confident father. Our aim is that you become a confident father who is making other confident fathers. Saints, this is all a target for us.
1: Church, we want you to lift up your eyes to the Father. It's time for you to rouse sons in the faith. It's time for you to ready arrows. It's time for you to fill your bow with sons who become fathers. We cannot wait until you have children. We cannot wait until your children get a fighting age. We are at war now. We are the bowmen. The bow is at hand and our arrows need the breath of life and you are the ones to give it to them. It is time to rouse our sons and ready our arrows in this house.
0: You guys are familiar and understand well how we typically respond to messages. And that is to come down to the altar. In fact, many are probably anticipating for us to say, stand to your feet. I'm not going to ask you to do that. Please stay seated. What, are we, what we're going to ask is that for everyone in this room, who is 15 years of age and younger even down to an infant in your arm you stand parents if you have small ones you can stand with them for those of you who are seated lift up your eyes look around the room this is your target your target is to make them into confident fathers and mothers and here's how you do it particularly and we're going to say a must when you're looking around the room let your eyes lock on someone who is not in your family as a bloodline They're not directly connected to you through birth. Lock your eyes on them. That's your real target. You're going to pray for, place your hands on them, and breathe prophetic, breath of life speech to those who do not belong to your familial line. This ensures that we are participating in the same faith of Abraham. This ensures that we have our eyes fixed on the target that our father has been aiming us at the whole time.
2: And an astounding message like this, it can be very difficult to judge the quality and rightness of what is being preached by the response borrow a very very country phrase that makes the point well I'm sitting in the room and our congregation who wants to do what is right is a little bit like a cow staring at a new gate I can hear three or four men who I know personally understand this men like Adam Cora who are working to be a father to this congregation men like our elders who have been doing this for decades Well, there's kind of an awkward silence when you're being told that your fatherhood extends beyond your natural children. I'm going to go ahead and just take a minute to add to the closing that we're doing. You see the children, the men in training that are around you everywhere? If there's a grown man, whether you're single or married, that has the courage to stand up and say, I am need to be fathered i am an insecure son who wants to grow up into a father and i am asking for the men of this congregation to help me then you as a man stand up alongside these sons and daughters if that's not you then stay seated this is not one of those calls today where we're trying to get everyone to rush to the altar we are trying to soberly wrestle with what God is going to enable us to accomplish standing in this room you're surrounded by a congregation of fathers and training and men who are already fathers there are a couple of points that I want to reiterate to make sure you understood what these men spoke because they said it clearly the first time but we are trying to get it down in our souls in Genesis 13 with Abraham the Lord told him lift up your eyes. If you want to learn how to be a bowman, if you want to know how to set your eyes on the right target, you have to start by lifting up your eyes to your heavenly father. Then you can look and find the target. And once you do, then you begin to raise up sons. This is interesting because in this room, there are men who should be fathers, who I'm going to call the fathers, and you're asking for help in your sonship right now. But men like Juan Grimaldo, he has a baby on the way. You know how exciting that is? God has given him a a reward, as Psalm 127 says it. Do you know what I know about Juan that he didn't know before today? that God is calling this man to be a father in this congregation and in this house. Not a decade from now, but now. There are men in this room that are some of the finest scholars in the word, pastors in their home that I know. But you need to learn to take up the authority and the concern of a father. Men like Marlon Sosa. You're a father in this house. You haven't known it yet, and you haven't learned to take up the authority, but our God is rolling the ranks of this house forward, and He's telling you, you need to learn to be a father. Take up the authority that He's given you. Assad is standing right now because he wants to be fathered. He's not as secure as a son as he wants to be yet. I'm telling you, Assad, lift up your eyes, and the Father will secure you as a father. Then he'll show you the right target because you are a father in this house, Asad. Men like J.J. are focusing on raising their sons like Josiah. And Josiah is becoming a kingly man. Do you know what we cannot wait for? For Josiah to go from 15 to 20, we have to raise sons now. And you're in this house for a reason. It's time that we emulate the example of men like Boj Erejina. Like John Dang. Like Charlie Brown. Or even outside of pastors and elders like Adam Cora that are inviting men into their home and becoming a father to them. Carlos Rueda, I don't see where you're at in here. This is one of my favorite brothers. Do you know what Carlos is working to do? He's not working to expand his scholarship. He's been doing that a long time. He's working to be a father in this house to men who are in it. My own brother, Brandon, is doing better, being strengthened, rising to become the leader of his home and the father God has called him to be because of Carlos Rueda's influence. These men are going to be fathers in this house for many years to come. But hear me, Charlie, they're becoming grandfathers like you. The work will be done through fathers in this house who come back to grandfathers and ask questions. But God is calling you to be the ministers of this house. You to be the fathers who will raise up sons. He is telling us we must raise the arrows. I believe that if we are faithful with the sons that are in this house, if men like Juan will look past the fact that they have their baby on the way and be a father now, if men like J.J. will take up an interest in an Ubong and make sure that he has what he needs like a father would a son, that he'll add arrows from the streets of Houston. Amen. That he'll add arrows from other areas and regions, but he is preparing the fathers first so that we know what to do with the arrows as he brings them in. It's no mistake that these gentlemen presented Zechariah 3.8 where a prophetic message came forward and they literally told us that when it seemed like we were dead, like we were unable to fulfill the call of God, Nolan, that that is when the Netzer and his resurrection power would come. Nolan Hewitt, you are like Matthias. You have been here from the very beginning and our God is calling you up. But it must start with you being secure as a son and growing into a father. Look to the one who called you all those years ago. You are not here by mistake. You are here by the design of God. And he has called you to be a pillar in this house. God will raise us up in our own inability. If we look to the one, if we lift our eyes to the only true father, then he will show us the target. Then we begin to raise the sons that are around us. And when you evangelize, you're evangelizing like a father confronting a future son. Pastor shared from 1 Corinthians 15, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. If your own natural sons and daughters were hungry, it wouldn't matter how tired you were, you would feed them before you went to sleep. Those of you who are sitting and working to be fathers, Look at both the young men and women and the men and women who are older standing in this room. Work to be a father to them. By the grace of God, you are what he has made you to be. Your own feelings about it no longer matter. If you want to raise up arrows, you cannot do that at church services and a quarterly home meeting the way that every one of you have been built, or by being in our homes. Learn to look at your week in a sacrificial fashion. Partner with another family. Take evenings where you're pouring into arrows that don't come from your body. As these pastors have said, we're about to lay hands on men and women who do not come from us, but it must go beyond a service. You should not be able to live with Nolan Hewitt being insecure as a son because he's called to be a pillar of this house. It's not somebody else's problem to fix. We're the fathers in this house, so we will fix it. As God anoints you to prophesy today, if he anoints you to pray, bringing healing and lifting men up, you begin to assess assess your household and decide how you can be a father in this church and further the lives of these sons. I'm speaking to you 12 especially. Look at your households. Make sure that your wives are mothers in Israel. Not manipulators in Israel, but mothers in Israel. Cultivate a home that is welcoming, that sons want to come into. Where your life is sacrificially feeding them both with the word of God and with physical bread. And what we will have a year from now again, is we will have a house filled with men who have spiritual sons all over the place. We will raise arrows now that can be fired on a bow. LCM will send supernatural sons into Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Israel. And it is going to start long before your six-year-old is 18. So it's time that we get to work. these pastors pray, make up your mind where you are going to go. To someone who was not born to you whether young or old, that you will not only pray and prophesy, you will follow through on the commitment to build them up until they become brothers and fathers in their own right. We will defeat all disparities in here, and we will do it by taking our stand today. This body will build itself up.
1: We're going to pray for you. But the point of this time is not about us praying for you. If you're standing right now, then you are the target. And those of you who are seated need to find somebody, at least one, who is not of your own bloodline. And you need to be able to lay your hands on them and begin the process of fathering them. Mighty God, what a powerful time of your spirit being here with us. Lord, that you would not only secure sons, but that we would raise fathers in this house and we would begin today in Jesus' name.